Chapter 13, The Power of the Broken, From the Mind of God, by Bill Johnson. Wisdom is transformational in nature, and it is something every person has a hunger for, whether the person realizes it or not. But we must address the nature of wisdom in order to serve those around us consistently with this virtue. Wisdom often provides answers to problems, both great and small. It is the one thing that satisfies the heart as well as the mind. It is, by its nature, able to see beyond the obvious and is able to provide solutions that go beyond the immediate need. Answers that provide immediate relief are not always answers that work for the long haul. Not so with wisdom. It is eternal. And while every believer is called to walk in wisdom, and provide an example of how to reign in life and speak a message that settles issues, wisdom has a root system that most would reject at face value. The root system is the cross. Reading now from 1 Corinthians 1, 20-31. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world, through wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God, through the foolishness of the message preached, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom, from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I want to read that sentence again. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The cross is the wisdom of God, self-denial, dying, going low in humility, choosing others, becoming the servant of all. All these are expressions of wisdom. And while wisdom also provides answers for the sometimes complex issues in life, it is most likely to germinate in the heart of one who does the crosswalk one who genuinely believes 
genuinely follows Christ. God is looking for people who will love not the world so that he can entrust the world to them. See 1 John 2.15 While wisdom that begins with the cross is not what people are asking for, it is what they are looking for. People often think they need answers to satisfy their minds, when what they really need is something that will bring divine order to their whole being. They need purpose and examples to follow in order to fulfill their purpose. When we function in wisdom, we serve that end. Those who want wisdom in order to be the know-it-all and a present-day savior of people with problems are not ready to function well in this gift. We experience reigning in life consistently to the same measure that we are willing to be reigned over by a Lord, the Lord of all. When wisdom grows from that root system called the cross, it is no longer obtained through human reasoning. God often puts us in over our heads to remove us from the reasoning that brings temporary answers and long-term disasters. When we are overwhelmed, it activates the hearing ear in us that we might be connected to the answers found in the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit. Both David and Solomon had this attitude that Jesus taught about in the Sermon on the Mount. The poor in spirit are happy, for they will see God. Matthew 5, 3. Being poor in spirit does not mean engaging in self-criticism, self-condemnation, or shame. Those things are foolish. It is not found in the people who belittle themselves to appear humble. In fact, false humility will keep us from our destiny. But true humility will take us to it. I am always careful around people who constantly berate themselves. Because at my expense, they might fulfill the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. If they criticize themselves, they will probably criticize me. That was David's motto. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Psalm 13.1 Emphasis added. Here is the most powerful man on uh. earth describing himself in humility. This is brilliant. Here is the most powerful man on the planet telling us his approach to life. To me, this sounds like a man who knew where his power came from and had no misunderstanding about his own significance. This is brilliant. While our significance has importance, it is also a trap if we don't handle it well. Paul warned of this trap by telling us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Romans 12.3 Solomon started out with true humility. He prayed brilliantly. 1 Kings 3.7-8 Now, O Lord my God, you have made me your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. 
and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. He has overwhelmed he was overwhelmed by the size of the task he was assigned. Most of us pray better when God puts us in over our heads in our assignment. In fact, if we don't feel overwhelmed, we probably don't see that he has made possible through our lives. We pray better and hear better because we trust better when possibilities are beyond our reach. This is the one of the most important reasons to have a vision that is not humanly possible. It is also why Jesus commanded his disciples to heal the sick instead of praying for the sick. It is also why Jesus commanded his disciples to heal the sick instead of praying for the sick. That, that definitely bore repeating. God has a habit of assigning impossible things to those who will listen. It is his invitation to greater trust. Christmas time. I think the story of the wise men is one of the most intriguing stories in the Bible. We don't know how many there were. We just know of the three different types of gifts they brought. The Christ child, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some think these men were royalty. Others recognize them as the academics of the day. Regardless, they are called wise men for good reason. They illustrated wisdom, unusually so. They traveled for probably two years simply to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. Wisdom leads to worship. This king was a baby, so they came to worship, someone who could do nothing for them. Later, when Jesus was healing the sick, raising the dead, and delivering profound messages that brought the biggest crowds to silence, we can imagine people coming to worship him. In fact, it happened. But the wise men's worship was the purest kind. It cost them, and they had no way to profit from it personally. Wisdom leads to giving. They worshipped with open hands. In other words, they brought gifts to God. He is still a covenant-making God who honors offerings. It is true that we cannot buy things from God, but it is equally true that we will never get all that is in our hearts without sacrifice and generosity. Luke 16:11 says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true witches? This verse makes it clear that our use of money has an effect on the true wealth God releases into our lives. True wealth is the reward of good stewardship. But it is, it is not more money. True wealth, that bears repeating, I'm sorry, I'm really making a lot of mistakes today, but this app doesn't allow me to go back and um, start and stop. And I just want to get this out to you guys, so please bear with me. True wealth is the reward of good stewardship, but it is not more money. Rather, it is what we are all hungry for, the spiritual realities that Jesus gives us. Let me put it this way. Natural wealth can buy 1,000 people a meal. 
True wealth can multiply one meal and feed a thousand. After the wise men found the Christ child and worshipped him, they were supposed to return home. God spoke to them in a dream about not returning by the way of Herod, as the king had commanded them. They obeyed the dream. Wisdom always obeys God over man if there is a discrepancy between the two. What is God's dream? Well, over 10 years ago, I remember standing next to a wall in a church where an all-day prayer meeting was being held. I had just met a pastor named Mike, whom I had corresponded with by email. He pastored a great church in Utica, New York. Mike leaned over to me and said, Bill, God is looking for a city that would belong entirely to him. And once he gets that one city, it will cause a domino effect across the nation. My eyes lit up and I responded that I believed my city, Redding, California, was that city. Mike said the same thing about believing for his city. Of course, it has never been a race, one city against another. It has always been a race against time. Perhaps 30 minutes later, I was in a different part of the room, standing in the same row of seats as a woman I had known for years. She was a prophetess. This woman walked over to me and said, Bill, God is looking for a city that would belong entirely to him. And once he gets that one city, it will cause domino effects across the nation. It was word for word what Mike had spoken to me half an hour earlier. My heart was beginning to burn, knowing I had just had a glimpse of the heart of God. These events are more than just cute coincidences. They are more than encouraging words to keep us going in the midst of difficulties. These words are profound declarations of the heart of God, carrying an invitation to fulfill his heart's cry. I found it impossible to think the same way after that, and I had already been intent on seeing my city transformed. Jesus' Confession of Faith Before Jesus ever healed anyone, raised anyone from the dead, or performed any of his other miracles, he announced these faith decrees. He boldly declared that the Spirit of God was upon him for this purpose. It was his confession of faith. From Isaiah 61, 1-3 this is also my own personal degree, my dear friends, and I feel it crying. This segment is so powerful, isn't it? The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to break proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, 
that he may be glorified. Yeah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me. Jesus' confession is our confession. That's me, Jen. In these few verses, Jesus describes his ministry before it ever happened. In Luke's version, Jesus also states that he would open the eyes of the blind, Luke 4.18. The next three and a half years, Jesus fulfilled this mandate from the Father perfectly. He took those whom others had given up on and made them trees of righteousness, stable and deeply rooted in their Christ-like nature. Captives were released, those imprisoned because of sins of others. Prisoners were also released, those imprisoned because of their own sins. He came to announce the favorable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. That was the year of everyone in Jewish culture looked forward to. So, if they were in debt, everything was forgiven, and everyone had a clean start. Jesus truly healed the whole man, spirit, soul, and body, and he announced it in Luke four eighteen through 19 But there is a part that we often forget. It holds some of the secrets to rebuilding cities. Look at Isaiah 61, 4, emphasis added, And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined city, the desolations of many generations. To correctly understand the who Jesus is talking about in verse 4, we have to look again at verses 1 through 3. The who he is talking about in those verses are the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, those who are in debt, those who need justice, those who are in mourning, those who have suffered great loss, and those who are heavy in heart. So here is the key to rebuilding cities, the broken. The broken are the key to restoration. The broken build best because they are so grateful for their own restoration. It is in God's heart to restore the broken so completely on every level that they become contributors to society in fresh and new ways. It is in his heart for them actually to become part of the team. He has called this team to rebuild cities to their place of intended glory. What a plan that God would use the rejected by society and anoint them to become a resource for his restorative purposes revealed over a city. The secrets are sealed in the heart of the broken. Our value for them is what releases them to their destinies. As we value the least, so God values full restoration of cities. The broken are the key. The promise of God continues in Isaiah 61, 5-7. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, but you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double, everlasting joy 
shall be theirs. How do we know this prophecy is for us right now? First of all, Jesus quoted verses 1 through 3, bringing this word into the church age. Second, verse 6 says, We shall be called the priests of the Lord. That is highly significant because both Exodus 19.6 and this passage pointed to a future time when this would happen, saying, You shall be priests. But in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a royal priesthood. The time is now. It is safe to assume that the season when all God's people, not just the tribe of Levi, would be referred to as priests of the Lord, would be the time when he unfolds many of the promises that have been withheld until that perfect timing. I would like to suggest that right now is a perfect time for us to pray and ask God how these promises, how much of these promises he will allow us to see in our lifetime. Praying these promises as possibilities in our lifetime is the absolute minimum we must do. These verses in Isaiah 61 add that we will experience prosperity and priestly ministry to God while benefiting from the resources of those who refuse to follow Christ. All this is the purpose of advancing the kingdom. Double portion blessing and extreme joy will accompany the people of God in this season. Is this possible in our lifetime? I think so. It is so worth bringing before the Father. The anointing upon Jesus was an anointing of power. It was to heal broken people who in turn would then heal broken cities. And now that same anointing and assignment is upon us because God loves cities and wants them to fully step into their place in the redemptive work of Christ on the earth. Wow, that chapter was so powerful. I feel like um, we're going to pray from this. At least I am. And I'm going to pray it over all of you, anyone under the sound of my voice. Father, we thank you for the verses in Isaiah 61. We thank you for those prophetic promises that we would be called kings and priests in our lifetime. Father, we thank you for placing each and every one of us here. Lord, I know that each of us that's under the sound of my voice has been broken. Each one of us has walked through great trials. Each one of us have suffered much, persecution, all kinds of things. But you led each of us to that cross and each of us into the co-co-revelation, knowing that we were co-crucified with you, co-buried, co-resurrected, and that we have co-ascended, and now we are co-seated in you at the right hand of the Father. Glory to God. So in that revelation, it is cannot be argued that your spirit is not upon us, even your spirit of wisdom. One of the seven manifold wisdoms of the spirit. So we thank you right now for your spirit of wisdom and how we are to operate and function in the earth realm going forward for the rest of this year, 2022, and on into the future. For we know that we have 
moved from the church age into the kingdom age, and we are walking it out by faith. Glory to God. Thank you so much, Lord. We praise you, God. And Lord, I know that each and every person under the sound of my voice is also a humble person. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand, Lord. We are so grateful that we have learned that forgiveness is also a gift, that you have forgiven us. Father, you love the world so much that you gave your only begotten son, that whoever should believe on him shall be saved. We are saved. We are forgiven. We are blessed beyond our greatest imagination. We are not seekers of money. We are wealth seekers. We are seekers of kingdom wealth for the rich and deep treasures of the kingdom of God that we might walk into them and they might come into us and flow through us into the world. Father, I thank you for showing each and every one of us the people group or groups that you have called us to, the cities where you have placed us, Lord, that we could be your gates as we, walking in wisdom, praise and worship you, and we swing wide our gates with our open mouths of praise, and we release the kingdom of God into the atmosphere of every locale, every location where you have placed us, Lord, and we bring your kingdom to bear. Hallelujah. We join in with Bill, Johnson and with that pastor Mike Lord and we say that we make the cities where we live to be to be city sanctuary cities where people can come and be refreshed in the presence of the Lord we are the Zion company hallelujah glory to God father I ask that you bless each and every one under the sound of my voice today with downloads of blueprints father that of the things that you've called them to do, that each one would take up their mantle and would walk in it and walk it out, that we are one company, we are one body, we are the bride of Christ, and we have awakened, and we are taking the land on behalf of the King, our beloved bridegroom, Yeshua. Hallelujah. Bless you, bless you, bless you.